1: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
2: Is delayed gratification one of the overlooked secrets to reducing anxiety? Is immediacy culture and this thing known as present bias fueling our basal level of daily anxiety, that background hum or fizziness of anxiety that we have grown so used to living with? This week on Owning It, the Anxiety Podcast with me, Caroline Foran, I am joined once again by the wonderful Dr. Porig Walsh, behavioural psychologist and founder of Actualise.ie as we look to answer these more profound questions about our behaviours in relation to our experience of anxiety. It is in our nature to seek the path of least resistance, but overall, if we can't learn to sit with boredom or discomfort or hold off on doing something that will numb the discomfort, do we wind up contributing more to anxiety overall? And if that's true, how can we go about working on delayed gratification and willpower with the goal of helping our anxiety? If you find this episode interesting or helpful or worth sharing, please do just that, and it would mean the world to me if you signed up to Owning It Real Time on Acast Plus, where you can manage your anxiety in the moment that you're feeling it. You can find the link to sign up there in the podcast show notes, where you can also join me on my brand new substack where I talk about anxiety, careers, parenting, relationships, and so much more. For now, enjoy this episode. Cork Walsh, take four. Maybe we've had a few technical glitches uh, trying to get this podcast set up, but it's all good practice because it makes us feel anxiety and then we can talk about it. (laughs) Thanks for joining me.
3: Thanks for having me back, Ernie.
2: It's an honor to have you. You were on the floor and I just love the way that you distill the often- scientific and um you know stuff that can be kind of hard to digest in ways that help us make sense of our behaviors and um you're prolific across tv and stuff and you do such a good job so I'm delighted to have you back and today what brought us back together this time just for context for the listener was I had reached out to you because I was writing an article for the Sunday Times uh, their climate supplement around climate anxiety um which I've done an episode on before but it was more about how climate, knowing the stats about the climate and getting told all this news isn't really, for me anyway, making me think, oh, I need to change my behavior right now. Um, And you gave me some wonderful quotes for that around immediacy culture and present bias and the tragedy of the commons and lots of things that to me were so interesting in explaining why there's this gulf, I suppose, between our individual experience and a global, much bigger issue like climate change. Um, So not necessarily that we have to talk about climate change anxiety, but I think there is such a strong link between things like, and I might be wrong, uh, our tendency towards present bias um, and the environment of immediacy culture that we live in and the kind of daily hum of anxiety that I certainly carry around with me. And I think a lot of people will too. So this is more of a, like a, you know, a, a basal anxiety I want to talk about, as opposed to, you know, you're anxious about something specific like your job or like you're getting on an airplane. So does that make sense?
3: It does. And, and even, um, I'm always conscious of, of jargon because I use it, but then I also uh, feel the need to explain it. And I, I I mentioned to you about this press bias, which is basically our human tendency to value something with an immediate reward or immediate feedback, rather than something that gives us a more longer term thing. Like I was saying to you, I've got a five week old, and the bud is starting to kick in again, right? And this, these, the the, the choices that present themselves to us all the time are: Do eat the 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 chocolate. Do I take the car instead of cycle? Do I go for exercise, which in the short term is uncomfortable? Is you're sweaty, you're realizing how unfit you are, but in the longer term has benefits to us on numerous different, you know, physical and psychological health. So present bias when it comes to the environment is saying we're presented with oodles of choice all of the time. In our daily lives, we know that it is better to use re reusable cups, but I'm out in and- really want a coffee? Do I take the disposable one? I know that it's better for me to use public transport, but I really don't want to sit beside somebody and I don't got to walk to the bus stop and this, whereas my car is just parked outside. And in the short term, the reward is quick, it's immediate, it's present, and it is, uh, it is given to us. But in the long term, does that actually fit with our values? Like, I got this, this this morning, I actually did that thing. I got in the car when I thought I should really be cycling this. And it was that split-second decision where you think, do I get on the bike, there's a possibility it might rain, or do I just hop in the car and, and drive to where I'm meant to be going? And you make the choice. And then in the back of my, your mind, you're going, oh, I really should have cycled this. It feels good in the short term, but it doesn't really fit with my values of, being fit, being active, reducing climate uh, impact. So how we feel and how we behave haven't matched up together, and that's what leads to that kind of icky anxiety that that hums in the background, like you described.
2: So let's stay with present bias for now, and then we'll get on to immediacy culture um, in a little in a little while. Um, so present bias, you say is really about the short term, what feels good right now in this moment. And what I loved what you said to me about when we were talking about it in the context of, of climate change was we have a hard time relating to something that we, when we don't come into the, con- and we don't personally come into contact with the consequences of our actions. We're less likely to change. And that made so much sense to me because I was like, oh, you know, I, I can be told, right, well, this is the state of the world in 2050, but um, so, so that's really quite staggering and you should, you should do something about that now. And then you just kind of get back into your own orbit, your own personal orbit. And you just think, what's the next thing that I need to do? What make, makes my life easier right now? It seems odd to me that we're designed to be so focused on the short term when it's not necessarily an off pretty much, I would you say more often than not the case, not the best thing for us to do when it's our, our future self or our, values like you say that are more important or is is present bias giving us more anxiety overall
3: it's it's funny sometimes uh, what we want to do the the world operates against us the environment operates against us you know I uh, to uh, a petrol station and I just want to I'm hungry and I want to get something quick to eat that's healthy and it's very very difficult because there are 67 different Types of bars and sugar-fueled uh, beverages there, and there's nothing substantial that I can that I can eat. So when it comes to to choice making, when it comes to decision making, we might have a particular feeling about certain things, or we might have at a at a at a very high cognitive level. Logically, we know it's good to exercise. It is good to reduce our carbon footprint. It is good to reduce the amount of of, uh, travel we do using fossil fuels. It's important to recycle, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then the, the situation presents itself and it becomes a little bit more complicated because we have limited choices in front of us or the choice that is most fitting with our values or that has most benefit to our future selves or our future uh, future population isn't the one that's easiest. So it's tilted in the direction of just do the thing that's, that's simple. Do the thing that is going to get me over the next hurdle, you know?
2: Why do some people find it easier to overlook present bias or outsmart it? And do you think those people... Am I am I drawing like a kind of imaginary thread between anxiety and this or what do you think?
3: So I, I, I actually did a segment on the Six O'Clock Show a few months ago talking about this, about uh, fast fashion. It was around the time that uh, Shine or Sheen had come into Ireland and there was a big discussion around fast fashion and online shopping and uh, the impact on the environment, but also the psychological uh, reasons. That we are so seduced by fast fashion. I can have the thing delivered tomorrow. Immediately, I'm I'm in that, and I can just buy, buy, buy. And why is it that we we find it difficult to exert willpower? And I I, I suppose it, it brought me back to this idea of willpower, which is this muscle. It's a very trainable, changeable muscle that we can use that says, you know what, I'm going to forego this immediate reward in order to gain a long-term goal. That's why people do mad things like marathons and deny themselves, you know, nights out with friends or foods that they enjoy or time with people they want to and go out running in the rain instead because their, their willpower is saying, you know what, this future goal is more valuable than the immediacy of the the, the comforts. Now, willpower is one of those muscles that can weaken as well. And I described willpower as that friend who says they're going to turn up at a particular time, and then you're left waiting for them in the cafe because they're not there. So willpower is a function of things like our tiredness, our distraction, our stress levels, and if we find that we are distracted, stressed, tired, hungry, do, 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 our willpower dwindles. And that's why that's why I was joking earlier on that I'm saying, look at Dad bod is definitely back in five weeks into to a newborn. It's because I, I my willpower to say I'm going to go out and get that run is so weak. I might have great intentions when I have had a full night's sleep, but it dwindles. And it's the same when it comes to things like uh, online shopping or it comes to purchasing things that are discretionary, that might not fit with our values because, wait a minute, I'm trying to save the world or save for a house or live longer or live healthier. Oh, but it just looks so good. I'm just going to buy it. Or it's just tastes so good. I'm just going to eat it. And in the immediate short term, to get that nice dopamine hit, but in the longer term, I'm probably going to feel worse for it.
2: What's the What's the function of that from a evolutionary perspective?
3: God, it's a very good question. I don't have the the, the full answer to it in terms of uh, why you could you could argue a number of different reasons on it. I I don't have the answer to to why it is. For, as far as why we do that from an evolutionary perspective, I would say human fallibility is is strong within that. You know, that we, we don't know uh, where the next good thing might come from. In the past, we certainly didn't. So we would have... Uh, they always use the term hunter-gatherer, Caroline. And the idea of hunting, I get, but then the idea of gathering, gathering stuff up, gathering, 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 gathering and accumulating it for the future when it mightn't be so so abundant is is interesting and i wonder is there an element of that where we're just going i better to gather all this stuff up but i really don't know i'm, I'm just shooting in the dark there
2: yeah um, i mean, I mean my hunch respect. would be that scarcity is a huge driver of our behavior this that we're you know back in those days, think, things like that helped us safeguard our survival or at least give us sustenance were so rare and hard to come by that we'd have to drop everything and, and take it and take this sweet apple if we came across it. Um and you know obviously now we've got we don't have that same scarcity, but we still kind of operate as if we do, like that need of I need to have this now before it's gone. Or for me, you know, which the when we were talking about climate change and I was writing the article about fast fashion and i was saying how much those triggers got in on me and it was like if i see an influencer share this blazer and it's like this must have thing there's a real urgency about well if i don't get it now it might be gone um and all of that to me anyway like what i didn't expect was uh was the impact that fast fashion those impulse purchases and that constant sort like dopamine hit was actually making me feel so anxious and i didn't realize it until i pulled away from that almost daily habit of just opening up websites and you know even if I wasn't purchasing I was adding stuff to basket just to give myself that little feeling of reward um oh, and, and really guess, that yeah
3: I just adding it to the basket gave you that same reward it gave you that kind of feeling of oh, I'm, yeah that dopamine hit
2: I think it's because I know now that whether I buy it or not it's going to wear off so sometimes yeah. just the act of adding yeah. into the basket just gives me that little buzz. but then it's it's a buzz that you can't get enough from. so this this present bias, this um need for it for it for short term gratification cannot be really satisfied um because we're not just looking at it in terms of like our sustenance, we're looking at it in terms of like commod commodities and things that we don't need, like material objects that we don't need. And then it just becomes like this rhythm of like, want and desire followed by this gap that needs to be filled and then you're back to it again you fill it for a few hours and then you're back again and for me it's just like a, a, a complete recipe for for like this low level anxiety all the time
3: that that link between emotions and behaviors is is interesting and that idea of sitting with discomfort um where you have you know uh you mentioned like um uh, an unmet need or something that you feel I have to have that or I want to have that now and if I don't I'm going to feel um, the <coughs> excuse me, the link between our emotions and our behaviours is a really well studied um, and there's a strong link between them as well but it doesn't necessarily mean that because I feel a particular way that is definitely going to lead me towards x behaviour in fact, so, and, and oftentimes our behavior isn't designed to achieve a particular emotion. Sometimes it is, other times it's designed to avoid a particular emotion. So I will, you know, eat to avoid feeling anxious or inadequate. I'll take a smoke because I feel stressed. I will um you know have a purchase time because I feel inadequate. And until we, you know, one of the things that's helpful is actually drawing that link between and saying, actually, do you know what? It's not necessarily that I'm purchasing this because I need it or because I want it, but it's because I'm tuned into how I feel. And now that I know how I feel, I'm going to take a step away because I don't want my these purchasing behaviours being solely driven by the uh, the want to avoid feeling a particular way. Does that make sense? You know, that that I don't want to feel bored, so I pick up my phone. I don't want to feel lonely, so I'm going to post something on social media to get some sort of, of connection. And it's not because I want to con- connect with other people, but it's because I don't want to feel lonely. And, you know, where, where you are trying to break that gap between emotions and then an immediate uh let's say let's call it an avoidance behavior there has to be some sort of I suppose gap built in between. And we'll come to that. That's why great toddler stories come in. Um but it's it's where we we try and stop, think, and then act that rather than reacting where we see something, I see the shiny thing and I want to buy it that actually we try and stop ourselves, we catch ourselves, we build in some sort of buffer activity, which can be anything in between, and then we respond mindfully. And that buffer activity might be something as simple as, I'm gonna just put it in the basket, I'm going to walk away, then I'm gonna come back, and I'm gonna see if I still want it when I feel differently. And it can be it can be as simple as that. There's oodles, it's not prescriptive, just a, uh, an approach to to those, that breaking that emotion, be, uh, emotion behavior bond.
2: I am convinced, and this is not. I don't know if this has been studied. Me, you, you probably know that. So I'm like a naturally anxious person. I've, you know, when I got my mind mapped with um with your colleague Michael Kane, Doctor Michael Kane. I was about to call him Sir, not that one. um He He'd hate to, that. <laughs> <laughs> I know he would. He was able to see that my prefrontal cortex, like the the activity there, was you know pretty high energy and like. Um, quite active and, and and would be indicative of of like a, an anxious kind of worried mind maybe, maybe because that was years ago maybe now it's settled down a little bit I, I imagine not I think I've just kind of accepted that it's who I am now but I'm very impulsive and I've always labeled myself as impulsive and it's it pisses me off so much because I'm just like a child like and I know what you're getting at with the marshmallow we'll get to it and um, I just want something and I want it now and if it's right there in front of me like my willpower you know I haven't really worked my willpower but my my impulsivity i am convinced is linked with my tendency towards being an anxious person has there been any studies that show that those two kind of characteristics can go hand in hand
3: let's talk about the marshmallow test okay it is it is it was something that came to to us it was first uh, conducted in 1972 by walter michel in the stanford marshmallow Mellow experiment and there's been lots of replications uh, now with um, to media where people can play with it and test it. I'll explain it very, very briefly. The purpose of the experiment was to study delayed gratification and self-control in young. So essentially what the experiment did was brought two ch- brought two children into a room and the experimenter said there's a marshmallow in front of you and a marshmallow in front of you. Now I need to go outside and make a phone call. I'll be back in five minutes. And if that marshmallow is still here, when I come back in five minutes we can have two marshmallows. So the uh, experimenter went out and obviously, this being the 70s in Stanford and a group of psychologists, there was a camera set up looking at the at what was happening to the children's behavior and how they managed to either delay that gratification or just pop the marshmallow into their mouths and go, ah look at what one we will do. The reason they were studying that was because they wanted to look at the longitudinal outcomes for these children. What did, well, first of all, what did those children who managed to last the five minutes do in the intervening period to not think about the marshmallow? A lot of the time, what they did was distract themselves, was find something else for them to do. So they weren't focusing in on the marshmallow. They weren't focusing in on the thing that they shouldn't be doing They were trying to find something else. And we see distraction uh, strategy employed in things such as no smoking, uh, you know, leaflets. When you start to, you're people who are trying to give up smoking and they're handed a a health leaflet. One of the things is they'll give you lots of different ways that you can um, yourself. When you feel a craving, drink a glass of water, take a walk. Do something else, do something else, do something else. Don't sit with that thought for too long. Mindfulness is great, but when you're trying to resist your craving, distraction is even handier. Playfulness, distraction, do something different. The second thing they did was they looked at the longitudinal outcomes for these children. And they said, well, what happened to those who are able to you know, display willpower for longer? And they found these children perform better academically in the future. They were more successful in relationships. Now, obviously, this is the short shorthand of, of the, the overall study. You can have a gander yourself. But that they had that ability to delay gratification was really useful for them, not just in a, a marshmallow, but in terms of uh, academic achievement, occupations, uh, you know, occupations, in terms of their health, their physical health. Um, and it... it It just shows that it showed at that point in time that the the ability to delay that 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 reward was really, really important that, you know, if you're asking a child who's 14, do you want to go and do your homework and study versus do you want to go outside and play? They're obviously going to choose go outside and play. Predominantly, they will Unless you know, they have strong willpower to say, well, no in the future, my future self will thank me for, for taking this time to, to study or whatever it is. The one final point I'll make about that that test was in subsequent replications of the study, context was found to be really important. And this is something that we can control. We can set up the context for ourselves to build our own willpower. So we're... we're You'll often hear me say that we are uh, very much a function of our environment, that the environment around us is going to influence a lot of our behaviours. You know, the people that are with us, the space that we're in, the culture of the the groups of people that we're with, that's going to influence what we do on a day-to-day basis. And if we can, I suppose, consciously choose the type of environment that we set up, So that we're going to make the right choices or demonstrate greater willpower or not just be a function of, well, you know, immediate, fast choices um, when the going gets tough. Because I know that when I am tired, when I am frustrated, when I am stressed, I'm less likely to have the willpower to say no or to make the right choice. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to construct my household my workplace my you know environment in a way that it's going to be so easy for me to just make the right choice think about it like brushing your teeth in the morning no matter how tired how stressed how worn out you are you tend to just have the habit of i'm going to brush my teeth at some stage in the morning um because it's so ingrained into us and you're trying to do that for more and more of those health behaviors climate conscious behaviors you know mental health practices for yourself
2: Was there any link, or did they did they ever explore the the impact of being able to delay gratification on their mental health? Like, yes, they were more academically successful, but did they do Do we know that delayed gratification helps with with stress at
3: all? Or I think I think it would. Yes, mo- most definitely. When you think of the dissonance, when you think about the cognitive dissonance, when what you want to do doesn't match up you know, when you know what is right, doesn't match up with what you're actually doing on a day-to-day basis. And you're constantly struggling with yourself. You know, that struggle that you have where you're going, like, I really want to do the right thing. I want to be climate conscious. I want to be a good friend. I want to be a, you know, a good family member. But just, it feels like it's conspiring against me. And every time I make a mistake, every time my actions don't match up with my values or who I want to be, it actually becomes easier to not do the right thing. That it becomes more habitual to, uh, you know, to 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 move further away from them. You have this internal conflict that builds. Do you, does that make sense? That you have, and that has a knock-on impact to your to your mental health. So you're asking me without the study in front of me, what my opinion on it is. I think yes, most definitely. The greater your willpower is, and the easier it comes to you. Or the more tools you have in your toolbox that they come naturally to you. You say, when I'm presented with the scenario where temptation presents itself, I have the willpower, or even when I don't have the willpower, I have the skills and tools in my toolbox that are going to help me get over this um this this this, this period of temptation. Um And then I wake up the next day or in a year's time, I look back and I go, wow, wasn't I glad I didn't give in to temptation there? It has had a positive impact on my life. You hear Brene Brown build her whole shtick around shame and regret. And -hmm. shame and regret is essentially that where we where our behavior didn't match up to our values. And oftentimes it's because our willpower let us down or the strategies we employed let us down
2: even when it comes to, so like temptation is kind of denying yourself of something, right? There's something you're trying to avoid. But even if there's nothing that I'm, I guess there's always like, you could do this or you could do that. But even when it comes to behaviors that I know, especially over the last few years, like that doing this will maybe feel good in this moment but i actually know it will directly impact my anxiety make me more anxious tomorrow or make me more anxious over time or if i was to go for this walk now and do it every day or do this mindfulness today and build in a habit that would actually make me struggle less with anxiety overall even even when it's that much of a benefit it's so hard not to still just do the thing like alcohol is a perfect example like you're going to you're probably going to feel shit and more anxious tomorrow and hungover but right now the feeling it's almost like the the value of it feels just so much more oh it's right there in front of you it'll actually help quell the anxiety in yeah. the short term it's really but, hard to, to like it's hard to find the right motivations to do things that will actually and given the podcast theme is about anxiety even when it comes to stuff that we know will help our anxiety we still struggle
3: to do them that's present bias encapsulated caroline you've just summarized it there it's the look at i know this is- this is going to make me feel shit tomorrow if i have this other glass of wine or if i finish off this bottle but in the short term you know what it. i i i it's it's you know there's going to be a buzz off it or in some cases it's just a habit there's a really good study done into the popcorn eating habit now this is going to sound like a little bit of a deviation but bear with me um there was a, a study done popcorn-eating habits of regular cinema-goers versus those people who don't regularly eat popcorn in the cinema. And What they found was that people who habitually eat popcorn in the cinema, even when they were given stale, like... days old pop that was you know when popcorn isn't crunchy anymore mm-hmm. it's like that kind of it, it, the, the, the texture is awful right even when they're given that because they habitual popcorn in the cinema they'll mindlessly eat it they ate more of the stale popcorn than non-regular cinema goers did a fresh porn so because it's a habit because it's something that we have when i'm in the cinema i eat popcorn you know that's the rule when, I'm, when it's Friday night, I drink the wine. When I'm in this scenario, I do this behaviour because that's just the habit and that's the trigger for me. Sometimes those behaviours, even though it doesn't fit with I I don't even like this popcorn. And when they were, sorry, when those people who had eaten the stale popcorn surveyed about it, they said, no, it wasn't great. And they were asked, why did you continue eating it? Well, I, I don't have an answer to that. And oftentimes that happens to our, our behaviours is that we're not even connecting them with a reason. They have just become so habitual. And we end up doing it without any consideration and then looking back on it and going, oh, well, that was disgusting. I don't know why I did that. You know, why? I, I totally regret that. There was absolutely no need to have those, those shots. Or there was no need for... I Do not you know what? I'm going to say this to my shame, Caroline. This is, this is a world exclusive, but you know the multi-pack, the big pack of, of Maltesers is meant to be shared among three? I yeah. had a full packet of those the other night. Oh. I had a full packet of them the other night. And I was like, why? Why? Oh, I would hate to have to share no those reason. with someone. <laughs> I know. But it was because I had a toddler all day. I was operating on very little sleep. Things uh, things were starting to to get busy with work again. You were juggling so many balls. And I said, well, this is just is this Is just going to be consumed or is that zero? Even though I'm thinking, well, I'd like to be fit. I don't want to be, you know, uh, eating full like 500 of pot of Maltesers every night. But hey, they, that was that was it. The thing about it is you're not beating yourself up about it. You're recognizing that was a moment in time and I'm going to try and do better the next time.
2: Yeah. See, my moment in time is kind of all of my moments. Uh, so I'm, so I have this, this hunch then again, I'm, I'm just really draw, drawing on my good instinct here, but people who are anxious are, you know, when it comes to managing anxiety, a lot, a lot of the time there's like avoidance involved. We don't want to feel it. We want to like get rid of the feeling. So it's very hard for anxious people to sit with that discomfort. And I almost think that- Correct. Letting yourself be bored, letting yourself be lonely, letting yourself be a little bit like having that sweet tooth that you don't satisfy, letting myself have that feeling of discomfort of 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 not knowing there's something coming from ASOS is anxiety inducing in the short term, but actually your body just kind of habituates to that then. And then, so for for, for me, for when I wrote that article with the Sunday Times, I was talking about my experience of buying less stuff last year and I bought one item a month and like to someone who's maybe like a lad who only buys their new jeans when they've gone threadbare, this sounded like, how is that a challenge? But it really was.
3: Guilty as charged.
2: <laughs> yeah. And like, for me, it's like a case of like, oh, I've had a really hard day with my toddler. I deserve a reward or I'm bored. I want to find something to that. Just gives me like, if I actually, you know, sometimes I'm not even cognitively aware of these or consciously aware of these drivers, I'm just doing it. And um, so when I pull back and I was like, I can't just go to the laptop every time I feel this feeling of I either deserve, I either deserve a reward because I had a hard day or I deserve a reward because I did something good today. <laughs> like I was able to swing it every which way to suit myself. <laughs> then when I stopped doing that, I felt Really deeply uncomfortable for a while. And it's like this feeling of, oh, first of all, there's, I don't get that dopamine hit. I'm going to have to look for it elsewhere. Or I'm going to have to just let it, let that feeling just settle down and, and not fulfill it. Uh, or maybe I'm going to redirect it and I'm going to eat something sweet instead. Then there's the feeling of, which is another conversation of, oh, I, I'm not going to be able to keep in with the crowd if I don't keep up when, and like what you wear and stuff is such a measure of that at the moment, anyway, with social media. And I felt really uncomfortable and like, oh, I felt like my value kind of went down a little because I wasn't like stepping out and like, if I was meeting my friends, I had to try and pull together an outfit from like the back of my wardrobe and you just, I just felt a bit shit. And eventually that horrible feeling, which sounds so pathetic, I know, as I'm saying it out loud, settled and I felt really calm. And it was like, I had to experience this horrible friction in order for it to just rise and fall. And then I no longer felt as, um, subscribed or, or as, you know, under the lure of this, all these marketing tools and Mm -hmm. techniques, I was like, I actually am choosing to step off that treadmill because there is no, I can't get anywhere anyway. I'm I'm like racing towards this thing that can never be satisfied. And so it ended up being really good for my anxiety and my mental health overall, but I had to experience like a little peak in it in the beginning. And I think, you know, it still affects me massively. Like I, you know, I, I if we're sitting down to watch TV at night and, and I don't get to have, or I, I deny myself, or maybe the, I don't deny myself, but there just isn't something sweet in the house. I feel really like uncomfortable for a while. And Or when yeah. you talk about the cinema, I would feel so robbed of the cinema experience if I didn't get to get the popcorn. I'm like, what's what's the point I'm having half, <laughs> the, half of the experience? I may as well just be at home. And mm. it's so, I feel it so viscerally. And I just wonder yeah. whether that unwillingness, that tendency to, to turn away from those feelings is actually then contributing to to this bigger, like that basal anxiety that's there all the time because we can't allow ourselves to feel just the slightest bit of discomfort.
3: You um interviewed Dr. Brian McLean a few, maybe last season. Mm-hmm. Um, Brian is a, a longtime colleague of mine and uh, started out as a mentor to me. In oh, mid 2000s and I distinctly remember Brian saying to me one day, I don't know, was it at supervision or at, at, at some workshop? He said, "Change is uncomfortable, and in fact, you're not going to <clears throat> you're not going to notice change unless you feel uncomfortable." And I remember that being a real light bulb moment for me. Going, oh, so actually that discomfort, uh, uh, you know, I need to lean into that. And that could be around anything. Any change that you're in life is going to feel uncomfortable. And, you know, that's the first thing to just tune into is to say, I feel uncomfortable. That is because I am making a change. That change fits with my values. This is a fucking great thing. You know, and that's that was, I remember going, Oh, that's really, because even around, <clears throat> excuse me, around work practices, around lifestyle, you know, changes, around habits. I was like, oh, yeah, that's that's something really interesting to to tune into. So, so you're almost reframing that discomfort and saying, This isn't something to be fought. This is something to be embraced because this is almost like a, a badge of honor. You know, when you see like six year old boys and they show you, when they fall over and say, my scar is bigger than yours. And you're like, you're almost saying, well, my discomfort, it's a very personal thing. Um now that's easy for me to say, Caroline, you do realize I just ate a full packet of Maltesers two nights ago, by the way. So it's not coming from a place of piety. This is coming from a place of 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 trying to understand why we make these mistakes. And we will consistently make those mistakes. And it's and it's about not beating oneself up about it, but tuning into it. So when you feel that discomfort, or you feel uncomfortable, you know it, it that, I, and there is change afoot. It's a, it's about just tuning into that. And I found that be really, really useful when it came to any point where you are, you are going. God, I feel really frustrated. I'm so tired and. Uh, you know, discommoded that I want to fly off the handle, but I'm just going to stop and tune in. Why do I feel this feeling? Why is it that I feel this uncomfortable? And does it link with a set of values that I'm trying to to match up with, or a goal that I'm trying to achieve, or a goal for somebody else that I'm trying to feed into? Because my value is I help other people, and that that can be really helpful to to tune into where you were talking about that um, that, that peak throt was interesting as well, where you said that it actually peaks, it peaks, the discomfort gets worse, and then it stops. And then it eases off. Um, in my car journey coming back, I was listening to Tommy Tiernan and Hector and Loretta Blue talking on their podcast from months ago. Tommy was talking about he was doing weight training, you know, and he was saying, I'm done with weight training. But what he did talk about was that when training, your body fights it for, for a long time. You get aches and pains. And then about a few months, your body starts to go, "Ooh, I want this. I want that feeling of, of exercise. I want that feeling of, of, of stress on me. And rather than it being something to be avoided, it's something to be embraced. But it takes a long time to, to get to. Um, and not many of us get to that point, but it's there's there's similarities between the two of those psychological behavioral changes and the physical change that 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 he was talking about.
2: So if if our hunch is right, that delaying gratification could help with our anxiety overall and um, at least, you know, help with our with our mood and our sense of contentment and, and all the things that we know that delayed gratification Can keeping your future self in mind, how can we put that into practice? For taking me as the example of like the most impulsive, laziest person who just wants you're not the
3: you're not the most impulsive, laziest person. It's it's it is it's within our human nature to seek the path of least resistance. So you were asking about the things that we can do to help ourselves. Now, one of the things that is predominant is often said is we need to be mindful. And we need to sit with the discomfort. Yeah, in an ideal world, theoretically, it would be great. But I'm doing a piece of work at the moment where I, I've already mentioned the benefits of distraction, and I'm am, I am okay with that. That that distracting yourself in finding flow is important you see, we we look go back to the marshmallow test. the children who were successful at demonstrating willpower didn't just sit there and mindfully look at the the marshmallow. they distracted themselves. they did something different. they played. they took their mind off the thing that was causing them the stress and sometimes uh, i'm I'm doing a piece of work at the moment where we're comparing and mapping mindfulness onto playfulness. Some of us find it really difficult to be mindful and to sit with the discomfort, even though it's, you know, it is of benefit, it's tricky, it's really hard to say, I'm mindfully going to be aware of my surroundings and make a conscious choice and be conscious all the time. Sometimes I don't want to be conscious. Sometimes I just want to be doing something else. And playfulness, being playful, Um, You know, finding, uh, you know, the joy in everyday activities and finding joy and playfulness in everyday interactions can be just as beneficial for our social, our emotional and our cognitive well-being. So I would say that where you're looking for, where you're looking for, um, like, simple behavioural strategies around this, the first thing is... tune into it linger on the emotion that's causing you the the um the, the want to make that purchase or to eat those months to have that glass of wine you know tune into it you don't need to linger on it um if you are remind yourself of the greater values behind it brilliant you know i don't want to uh I don't want to damage the planet spend all of my discretionary income on 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 fast fashion or I want to be happy that's great. that's really good and this won't work 100% of the time I guarantee you it will not work 100% of the time but I always am a big believer in having more tools in your toolbox Every, to you know to to approach something because life isn't really you know life isn't well you know, here, here is your five-step plan to removing temptation and boosting your willpower. Life is going to throw a curveball at you and those five steps aren't necessarily going to fit with the context. So it's about having a number of different tools that you, you can flexibly use. Distraction, playfulness, you know, doing something completely different your environment around. Like, I have not gone back and bought another full pack of Maltesers, Caroline. Since mm-hmm. I have since I have done that, and I'm going to have to work on on that because nine o'clock, ten o'clock, pork with a toddler and a, a five week old can be like a hyena going around the kitchen looking for grub to just provide that instant <laughs> hit. So the best way that I can be kind to my future self is just to not have them in the in the in the kitchen. That's the That's the simplest thing that I can do, and that the environmental change that I'm still going to feel the same emotion. I'm still going to feel tired, frustrated. Uh, you know, annoyed, but I'm not going to have to sit there and look at the Maltesers and sit on the couch thinking, Oh, they're there. I could just get them. Oh, I really have to demonstrate this willpower because I shouldn't be eating the better person because of it. Fuck that. Just don't buy them, you know, just just make life simple for yourself because it can be complicated in so many other ways. So I say, and you know, you don't have to be a superhuman, you know, a super, uh, you know, I don't know what are those monks called who demonstrate. You know, in fact, the, an interesting one, just very, very quickly, there's a great paper, I think it's from 2009, by uh, Nordgen, Nord, Nordgren, um, Well, let me just pull it up here, I, I was having a gander, talking about restraint bias, how the illusion of self-restraint promotes impulsive behaviour, and that was published in Psychological Science in 2009, and restraint bias is really interesting. It's this idea, this bias that we have that we feel, you know what, Caroline, it's Monday and I, you know, going to go into the shops and I'm going to buy all the healthy food and I am going to do a big shop and I've got all my clothes ready. And Monday I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to make plans. I'm going to meet this person. I'm going to go do this gym class, etc., cetera, et cetera, et cetera, because I'm ready to go. And then... We put ourselves into these situations where we say, actually, and I can go for a drink on Thursday night or, or Friday night with my friends. And I'm because I'm going to be super fit and I'm looking at the world through this lens of, you know, very full, uh, a full cup of willpower that I, yeah, I'm definitely going to be able to show restraint on, or on Friday or on Saturday. So we put ourselves into these situations, these environments, where there's oodles of temptation in front of us. But actually, we have overestimated our ability to demonstrate restraint. And because we are overestimating our ability to demonstrate restraint, putting ourselves in a room full of marshmallows, we end up overindulging. And not because we're bad people but because we have miscalculated our relationship with willpower, restraint and our own cognitive resolve. And then you wake up on Sunday morning and go, what the fuck have I just done? I'm terrible. (laughs) And I wake up on Monday and I go through the cycle all over again. It's a really interesting concept. It's a really interesting paper. Uh, Restraint bias is something that I find myself relating to. Yeah. And it's just, I think being forewarned is forearmed. It's not to say that reading this is going to change it, but you're going to know more about our human fallibility. And every time I talk about psychology or or discuss human behaviour, Caroline, it's through the lens of curiosity because we don't know all of the answers. And we like to think of human behavioural science as a science, but it's so tricky to pin us down because we're so damn flexible as human beings. I look at it through compassion because we all experience these these pushes and pulls with ourselves we always ex- we all experience these conflicts within us that produce discomfort that produce that inner voice that goes you're a great person, you're a terrible person you can do it you're not a chance of you being able to do it And the third pillar that I talk about when I'm discussing human behavior is fun because it is interesting it is. You know, engaging—it's something that captures all of our attention, and I think restraint bias just is one of those fun, fun mm-hmm. uh, themes to to explore.
2: Yeah, it's so interesting. I think there's oh, there's so many things we could go down so many rabbit holes of. Of present bias, impulsivity, restraint, immediacy culture, um. But I'm conscious that you have a five week old in tow, and you have to get back to real life, um. So for for this, I guess just the takeaways are, like you say, just be, first of all, being forewarned to be for was a forearmed. I liked that phrase.
3: Forewarned is forewarned is forearmed. Have the knowledge, and then you can fill your toolbox. You can build so your even own knowing
2: tool. like that's really useful for like being forewarned like when I pick up my phone and scroll on social media I'm going to come across stuff that I want to buy and I'm going to feel uncomfortable if I don't do it and like maybe just think ahead about what Sort of sticky points you might come up against in your day. If there's something that's really bothering you, like if you're really like I'm, I'm sick of buying all this stuff, and it's making me feel like there's this dissonance between what, like you say, who I want to be and how I'm behaving. And um, just to kind of not, not expect not to feel it, but to feel it and have a little plan of action for when you do. And um, and to really bring your your future self into mind as much as you can. And like you say, compassion is so important because I'm still going to have the bag of
3: all teasers and not going to beat myself up about it. <laughs> No. And, and, and you know what? They were delicious. They were great. I, I I enjoyed it. Yes, I did go, oh damn, that's going to set me back. But it's not the end of the world. In fact, that that's part of being human. To yeah. err is human, to forgive divine. I didn't make that up, you know, but I think it's a pretty cool phrase. I'm I'm not even religious, but I think those those kinds of sayings are really important to help us move on when we make mistakes and not to linger on them and to be able to go, yeah, you know what? This is. I want to have a good time, and part of the flavor and balance of life are some of those things that people will will say you should regret. No, have. Sometimes you just got to have the drink. Sometimes you got to have the Malteser. Sometimes you got to skip the gym session. That's okay. That's that's fine. But it's being forewarned is being for being forearmed for is for arms. <laughs> <That's
1: such a laughs> we but got there that, in the end.
3: Yeah, we got there in the end. But th- the idea that um, um, that the more knowledge you have and that 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 relationship between how we feel and then what we do and just being aware of yourself, know yourself, know, oh, you know what? When I feel stressed, I have a tendency to do this. Well, now I'm going to, when I find myself doing this the next time, I'm going to just tune into, you know, that, that knee-jerk reaction that I have. And rather than reacting, I'm going to stop, find a spot Small little distraction, just like those six-year-olds who had marshmallows in front of them. And then I'm going to mindfully respond
1: mm-hmm. or
3: playfully respond or mindfully distract myself by doing something that's, that's really good, um, that, 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 that's going to take my mind off it. And if I come back and go, do you know what, I really do want that thing. I've thought about it and I really do want it. Well, then, just, you know what, you've done. You've made your, you've, you've caught con- your, you're consciously doing that. I'm going to buy the thing. I'm going to have the, 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 the drink. I'm going to ha- eat the teasers. But you're doing it because you've made that choice consciously, not because you're reacting with a, a knee-jerk response.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Nail on the head is always, Pork. Where can people find you if they want to connect with you or learn more or see about the work that you're doing?
3: You can connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, I, just Portric, P-A-D-R-E-I-G, Walsh. Uh, changeable. Able.ie. my my uh, is my my company change so I think for us to change we need to be changeable. how do we set for change it doesn't we we don't force ourselves or shoehorn ourselves into change it happens naturally around some of the things that I discussed with you there and uh, retro red on Instagram I'm not an Instagram influencer unfortunately but I do post pictures of my dog. And random landscape photos every in a while.
2: <laughs> Brilliant! Thank you so much as always for shedding light on and just helping me noodle through some of the thoughts that I I, I feel <laughs> uh, deserve to be studied and explored when it comes to anxiety. And um, thank you so much as always. You're a breath of fresh air and how you and how you break everything down.
1: Thanks for having. me.